It's Susie G, and this is episode four of Are We Allowed to Talk About This Yet? As we said last week, we're going to shift themes for the next several weeks. We're moving from the death of spouses to the death of belief systems. We're going to talk about religion and other deeply held beliefs and how those beliefs can change and morph and sometimes die altogether to be replaced by something completely new. I've personally got a lot of this going on in my life. My life looks completely different than it did just five years ago, and it has everything to do with death. The death of my marriage, and the death of my husband, and the death of my religious beliefs, and not necessarily in that order. My spirituality informed everything else in my life, and I know that's true for a lot of people. And when those very deep fundamental beliefs start morphing and changing around, it ripples through every other facet of your life. And I think it's good to grow and change and allow yourself to become what feels real and honest to you. And holding on to old beliefs and white knuckling your way through is not healthy. And all we can do is try really hard to figure out what rings true for us. What makes us feel whole and loved and free. And that is absolutely how I think the foundation of spirituality should guide us to feel whole and loved and free. Today's episode is the first of a two-part conversation with Nick Flora. Nick is my producer and creative partner, my favorite person to talk to, and my favorite person to do life with. Again, not necessarily in that order. When Nick and I first became friends, we realized that a lot of our life experiences kind of jived. They were different, but very similar and simpatico. Religion was one of those areas, and he and I have talked for hours and hours about religion. Today, you get to hear just a little bit of that. This week's episode goes through our upbringings, me as a Mormon and him as a Southern Baptist. And next week in part two, we'll go through each of our stories about how we pulled away from those religions. I'm telling you right now that we aim to be respectful. We are each angry about a few things, uh, but neither of us is bitter. And I personally land firmly in the camp of live and let live. If you are not hurting anybody, do what works for you. So these episodes won't be a bunch of hostile hours of shit talking. On some level, that would be way too easy. And trying to live a good, authentic life with a bunch of other people just trying to do the same thing isn't easy. So enjoy this conversation with me and Nick Flora. It's going to sound a lot like being at our kitchen table on any random Tuesday morning. This is pretty much how we operate. Hello. Hello. Imagine meeting you here. I know. How strange. <laughs> we rarely podcast in the same room. Do people know that I'm involved in this podcast? <laughs> they do now. Okay. Well, I'm involved. I'm a producer. This I'm, is my producer. That's me. Nick Flora. And I help edit and uh, sometimes email people. It's really fun. Because mm-hmm. I've had podcasts in the past, but I've, and I've done all of it. And but, I've not. Yeah, and you've not. But I also so, don't like talking to people. You don't. So... <laughs> That's the one thing. So I was I like, let's you. start a podcast. <laughs> but you mostly Skype in. Uh-huh. So you don't have to be in the same room. Uh-huh. You you live the introvert's dream where you get to have the deep conversations. And then when it's over, you get to click a button and make them disappear. Yeah. It's hard enough to Skype with like video Skype, knowing that they can see me. Because I'm very like, how am I sitting? Does this yeah, you're, arm you're, look weird? Like it's very. Yeah, you get really aware of mm-hmm. your body I'm language. all up in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could have been the name of this podcast. All up in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very easily. One of the first things I think we met um, a little over two years ago, um, and one of the f- we one of the first things we realized, sort of 
about each other because I think it honestly came up as cliche as it comes up with you and you tell people that you lived in Utah mm-hmm. um, for almost 20 years. Over, about, over 20 Over years. 20 years mm-hmm. is, you know, what's the first question people ask is, are you Mormon? Yep. <laughs> because that is like the one thing that people who aren't from Utah know. Right. It's like when I tell people I grew up in Arkansas, it's like, why are you wearing shoes? Um, do you? <laughs> Which is my first question to you. Aren't you guys supposed to be barefoot all the time mm-hmm. and married to your cousin? All those kinds of things, you know, um, which in your case made it more true because there are, I think there are more Mormons in Utah than there are people who are shoeless and marrying their cousins in Arkansas. I, we'll check the numbers on that. Yeah, we'll check the numbers. Okay. We're not exactly sure. Um, but uh, yeah, but I think that very quickly with us, um, one of the first kind of conversations we had was sort of. I don't know if it was comparing and contrasting our upbringings, but there was definitely was a lot of like, um, I because I am fascinated by religion in general, but mm-hmm. specifically the Latter Day Saints like LDS. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I have so many questions, especially because you were on the inside, and I got the sense that you were sort of you didn't talk a lot about it, but this part of it. But I had mm-hmm. the sense just from like the way you answer questions and stuff. There was a lot of like cringy kind of like, oh, I know it's not great that you, maybe you were like on your way out Mm -hmm. or sort of like distancing yourself or maybe Mm -hmm. we're taking a break or something like that so which is my favorite because i was like okay i am too maybe i can get some like real answers out of you i'm walking this very weird line right now where i don't want to be like i'm i don't want to call myself mormon because then i feel like very you know people who are devout and practicing and what we call active like active mormons and like Mormons in good standing look at me and they're like, she's not more like I don't live like a Mormon, but I don't want to call myself not a Mormon because then it sounds like I'm anti-Mormon and I'm not oh, anti-Mormon. Tricky, yeah. And so I'm walking this weird line where I'm like, well, I'm not really. I And I guess so then I'm like, well, I guess maybe I'm culturally Mormon, but then not living in Utah, I'm not really that anymore either. So that's I don't true. Know. Yeah. yeah. You live in Nashville, Tennessee now. I do. Um, which I'm is not gonna, a Mormon. I'm still going to say we. Yeah. When talking yeah. about Mormons. When talking about, yeah. Well, that's where the whole, I'm, I brought this up before, um, but the whole idea of being culturally something, like mm-hmm. you said, like being, like I resonate with people being culturally Jewish. I was like, they're, they don't go to a temple every week or whatever, but they they might like join their family with the high holidays and that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. they are culturally Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I resonate with that as far as being culturally sort of just generic judeo-christian mm-hmm. <laughs> um my specific denomination was southern baptist which is a very specific denomination uh but i i to the point where both of you both you and i have that thing where when people talk smack about religion we're like okay 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 it's you yeah. know um because we know f- from being in on the inside for so long and for being a part of it and like we know the the problematic stuff but we also know that there are good people mm-hmm. we also know that it's it, you can't paint it with a broad brush it is very difficult so in the same way that maybe people look at people who are strict religious um or however you want to say it, it you know fundamental is a word that's used a lot evangelical mm-hmm. um want to paint them with a broad brush being like they're all like this like mm-hmm. you know th- they think that we sort of the religious side like looks at them that way but they spit it right back at mm-hmm. at the religious, so it it gets. And nobody likes to be sized up, right? You know, we are yeah. all complex creatures, and so nobody likes to be completely sized up as one thing. I have I have totally run into that now since moving from Utah 
and I think I'm just going to keep coming up against it. And so when people hear that I was Mormon and like kind of active Mormon, active Mormon mm-hmm. and right. Yeah. Like really practicing for a lot of years. Um, and that I am no longer, it's like they're waiting for me to start talking shit so that they, because mm-hmm. you can tell they're dying to jump in. Be like, yeah, that's like the one religion I just can't. They're waiting for you for you to use the C word, which is crazy in this yeah. context. So you can be, to they give can be them like, permission yes. to like uh-huh. jump in. And that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. Same with me. I'm like, mm. one, if anything, like I can talk shit about it and you can't. Like it's yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of that. But also I'm not anti-Mormon. I'm not angry i'm not you know most of my friends are still mm-hmm. you know active mormon and so yeah and i'm the same way with mm-hmm. with um southern baptist like some of the people who influence me the most are some of the kindest people are still very much in the system right. and, you know and it would and i would never if i have to paint with a broad brush and call you know people on their shit and everything like and call people you know the the monsters and like uncaring and all this different stuff that words that get thrown around when people talk about religious people, I'd have to throw them in there too. And I can't in good conscience right. do that. Yeah. And um, so I think that, and now like being with you and especially like hearing your story, which I hope people get this out of this podcast, this episode specifically, and maybe the ones that follow is that especially after all these conversations with you, I have so much more information and so much more um, empathy. So when people, I hear people kind of shit talk, LDS faith or any faith, I'm quick to jump in and be like, please don't do that. And it takes people back. They're like, Oh, I didn't know you were Mormon. I was like, that doesn't matter. Like, you know, I was like, uh, not, do, not only do I now know many LDS and people who are either active or former. Yeah. And so it, it's made me, and I think in general, the more we inform ourselves about experiences that may be similar to us, but look a little bit differently or th- they have, we'll use this phrase a lot, but different names for the same thing. Yes. Once yeah. we realize that, we get to our, our empathy gets activated and we can in good conscience stand by and let people smack talk. All this is a is a disclaimer for we are going to tell our experiences over mm-hmm. the next couple episodes. Yep. Um and just so you know, we are not on the active attack. All this comes from a place of uh of love and understanding, I guess. How how would you put it? This is this is my very personal this is my personal individual experience a thing that feels important for me to say is that i don't think i've while i've grown like away from the church i don't feel like i have outgrown the church and that i am suddenly now more enlightened and i'm looking at people still in the church being like well once you bozos figure this out and like come with me to like you know figure out that this is all really dumb or like I don't feel in somehow in some way like elevated above people who are still practicing. It's just I'm like this is no longer for me. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for me. Um, it doesn't feel true to me. And so like on a very, I feel like spirituality and religion are two very different things. And I feel like when I came away from religion and kind of pulled away from that, I actually became more spiritual. And because it became more of a very individual thing for me rather than a group of like us against them and which group is correct we talked about this because there's so much to cover and we're just even with our sort of rigorous note taking and stuff we're gonna forget stuff we're gonna leave some stuff out so um if you hear pens and pads during this we are we were we've given each other permission to Mm -hmm. take notes uh and the whole point is to get is to be delicate with the situation because we know a lot of 
religion especially is so personal Mm -hmm. but we also that doesn't mean that we don't get to tell our personal right experience with it the whole i think through my whole upbringing i thought that mormons were so different uh than other christians and the thing i figured out a lot in talking to you and both of us kind of you know coming out of our own things that you know around the same time mine started probably five years ago um like you know it predates you um but in talking to you and realizing that so much of our like faith arcs um kind of like line up at certain points i'm like oh it's not so different i feel like so many religions and groups feel like their own thing is so different and so special and so um unique and i feel like I don't know, and especially Mormons, like we feel so cut off from everybody else because, you know, other Christians don't like us. <laughs> and so um, I feel like in talking to you and in talking through, the thing I'm figuring out about religion is like we have different names for things, but so much of our stuff, there's so much crossover with mm-hmm. our stuff. And we're so, I feel I feel like we really are more alike than we are different, like across everybody. Mm-hmm. We all have different like labels for things names for things we use different verbiage for things but it's all the same the experience is so similar it's in arguing over it is essentially as silly as arguing over whether it's called soda or whether it's called pop yeah it's yep. like a lot of it we're talking that. about the same thing yeah. you're just calling it something different yeah and it's a lot of it's regional a lot of it's you know just denominational and it all comes kind of from the same it just it's like a game of telephone like over the centuries it just kind of turned the verbiage is slightly different yeah so do you want to get started? Yes. Uh, are we allowed to talk about this yet? <laughs> Hell yeah, we are. Start <laughs> asking go. me some questions. That should be a shirt. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what? I, let's start at the beginning. For you, um, what? I, I think an interesting thing. I, I think entryway into this is you told me before that Mormons don't like to be called Mormon. That's a fairly newish thing. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Since I've since I've quote-unquote left well tell me like, you were born into yes this like your family was mormon mm-hmm. i'm still gonna call us mormons because mormon or lds they're it, not the boss of me anymore lds See, i just said they <laughs> instead of we whatever so it's whenever it's a uh, on the offensive <laughs> right this is whatever i'm in charge right now um yeah so i was born into it um my how far my life story do I go back? Okay, so um, my family's on, you know, on both sides, uh, Mormon. And so I was raised, uh, you know, going to church every week, a three-hour block of church. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as a teenager, we had young men, young women, which is, you know, all the teenagers, the youth group on Wednesdays. Um, and just very, yeah, Um was it called mutual? I know that term now. It's mutual now. I'm thinking it wasn't called mutual when I was a teenager. Okay. But this was a very long time ago. Um, we get baptized at eight. Um, that's like the age when you're old enough to realize, you know, take on these very important covenants and promises and everything. That's, and I remember being eight and being like, all right, this is just like what you do. Like, I don't remember really making, like sitting down and like making a conscious choice. Like, it's just a thing you're, you know, obviously you're like kind of groomed like through primary. And I grew up in Maryland and not a whole lot of other Mormon kids at my school. Um, Sometimes I feel like we were the only family, which we had five kids in my family. So, which is very Mormon-y. At times we were the only Mormon family in school. So, um, Who were the other kids like at, at young men, young women that they thing. like who, yeah were they not so, people who went to your school no 
on and off through the years, there were other families, you know, who would move in and they would be at my school. Because there were so few Mormons, you would come from miles, like, to come to this one church. So, you know, our one church building, the congregation pulled from, I don't know, five high schools or so, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, because we're, we were spread out, like, all over. It wasn't necessarily anyone who lived super close to you. We were very, you know, active in church, um, did all the things, like, didn't, you know, we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't, we cussed, for sure. My mom was a cusser. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's not a Mormon thing. That's just my, my mom thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I got that gene as well. But yeah, we were, you know, we were pretty devout for a lot of years. And then my parents divorced when I was 15. And that's a whole other podcast by itself. Um, But at that point, um, our family kind of split. It was interesting. Um, Our, you know, church congregation was kind of either on my mom's side or my dad's side. It was very weird. Um, and so my, my dad ended up like, we didn't go to church anymore because my one brother and I stayed with my dad. And so at that point we stopped going to church because a lot of people at church didn't like him, but I got like, I got to, you know, stop going to church, which at that point felt kind of good. Cause I was 15 and like, I'm looking around and like my friends, you know, I'm doing like, I'm not doing all these things that my friends are doing. And so it almost gave me permission to like church for a long time is the thing that like kept me out of trouble. And then, you know, once I turned like 15, 16, stopped going to church, that's when like, just, it was like, oh, cool. We're not like not doing the Mormon thing anymore. And so then I was like, you know, I drank a lot and, you know. Normal teenage stuff. Normal teenage stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, what, what, so you never, even as a kid, like, it was just like a thing that you guys did. It was never a thing that you were just like super invested in. Um, it was like, this I is just I, what we do. I think or, I was, but I think. So in contrast, once I moved to Utah and like everyone around you is Utah, so everyone around you is basically more or less doing the same things you're doing. Um, but growing up where I, I'm like, you know, one of the only Mormons, you know, in my whole high school and like, so everyone's drinking but me. Everyone's dating but me. Like everyone's, you know, doing all this. And so for me, I felt like I very much felt like an outlier and like my behavior and my, you know, quote unquote standards like weren't normal. I'm like, this is, you know, this isn't like normal behavior. And so once we stopped going to church, I started doing what seemed like normal behavior, you know, just everyone else around me. So, and it was more fun. Yeah. TBH. It sounds like more fun. <laughs> Although for me, it was terrifying. All the, you were, oh, you would have yeah. terrified me. Oh, for sure. I would have had a low key crush on you. It's a little bit wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that classic, like good kid who looks at the the older girl smoking out with a leather, leather jacket on mm-hmm. like outside the schoolyard. I'd be like, who, what's her deal? That's what, <laughs> that would have been our dynamic. That was me leaning against my Volkswagen bug, smoking a cigarette. That's right. Yeah. That's you now. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, dynamically, like metaphorically. Right. Yeah. yeah that's you now. Okay. W- walk me through a, a little bit of sort of the Mormon, like what are the sort of tenements of the LDS church as far, it, they're really big in family. Mm-hmm. They're really, so that's the thing yeah. with the divorcing that surprises me. Yes. Because a lot of times I've seen a lot of, when I'm growing up, a lot of families divorce and then they just kind of disappear almost like witness protection. You're like, where, what happened to mm-hmm. them? Because the, you they find out that the church kind of, um, they just w- didn't feel welcome anymore mm-hmm. or like single dads, single moms, especially products of divorce were kind of ostracized. Mm -hmm. So divorce in the Mormon church is like a pretty big no, no. Um, 
So you do the thing where um, you are, when you go through the Mormon temple um, to be married, you're actually sealed together for time and all eternity. So it's a very big deal. Um, so you then have like an eternal companion and you have like a bunch of kids. Um, What's eternal companion? So when you die, so when you have like a civil marriage, um, you're an married, one. an earthly one, an, you know, a one that everybody else does. Um, <laughs> you get married like, in, you know, till death do us part type of a thing. And in, um, in Mormonism, when you get married, like in the temple, you were then, it becomes like your, your spiritual companions also. So after you die, you're also like connected with this person and this is your like eternal person. Um, which, you know, if things are great, that's great. Yeah, and if things that, aren't great, that's not great. I was about to say great. that if you were sort of guilted into getting married or like for un- unforeseen circumstances, mm-hmm. kind of find yourself. Because in my experience, just from stories I've heard, especially and from you, like some marriages are very young. You're mm-hmm. very young. You're like yeah. sometimes 18, 19. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's sort of it feels almost arranged yeah. marriage-ish. Or you're sort of pressured into like, well, that's a nice boy, this kind of thing. And when you're 19, forever is like kind of your normal because you're just like, I don't know, what's death? What's time? You're just, you know, you're young and whatever. But it's a very romantic concept when you're 19. But 20, but 20 years in, mm -hmm. if you're with the wrong person, yeah, 20 years with the wrong person's uh, five years with the wrong person sounds like an eternity. Right. So when you actually think about eternity and in the eternal companion thing sounds terrible so yeah so here's the thing though when you so when you go to church the eternal companion thing is very normalized because everyone around you is doing it everyone's done it your parents have done it your grandparents have like everyone around you has their eternal companion and it's like once you like it's it's the soulmate type of a thing you know and so it's normalized it doesn't you know it's it's very you know you're not really sitting around like trying to ponder like the concept of eternity um, and so, and also it's a very romantic notion, I think, when you're like, you know, 17, 18, 19, um, you know, thinking about like dating and not dating to like, you know, have sex necessarily, but like, you know, you're trying to find your eternal companion. And I, so I think like the young thing mixed with like the romantic notion of it thing mixed with, um, you know, this is what Heavenly Father wants us to do mixed with freaking hormones because... <laughs> Yep. You want to have sex. Um, and so a lot like that's why you're finding like these really quick turnarounds in Mormonism, I, I think, um, you know, where you find somebody and, you know, you've got that early courtship thing where you're like so freaking in love and, you know, you don't know the annoying things about them. You don't know. You don't know yourself. You don't know what you want. You don't know. I don't know. And I guess the hope is to like grow together. Um because you have this, you know, foundation that's like built on mm-hmm. like, you know, eternal principles and and so it kind of doesn't matter. It's like no, just find someone you get along with and you know, you're hot and whatever. <laughs> Which um, is also the, that's just a hope for any marriage religious or no is like we'll grow together yeah. and if we don't we have an out. Um but with it seems like in Mormon marriages it's like the the pressure's a little more. It's a little, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cuz it's like, oh, this better work out because forever, forever, eternity. Yeah. Um, and I think the idea is that because, you know, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of divorce. So you're looking around going like, well, everyone around me is figuring it out. Like, so I guess I'll, you know, when hmm. hard times come, like, we'll figure it out. Like, we'll figure it out together. Um, 
which again, very romantic notion, harder in practice, you know, when it's 10, 15 years down the road and you figure like, oh, this is what hard is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, that's for anybody. That's for any marriage. Well, yeah, let me ask you this, because this is the thing that I'm sure a lot of people, this kind of goes into the myth buster kind of section, I guess. But um, because we're talking about marriage and stuff like that, where does plural marriage, where did it come from? Um, like, why why do people associate Mormons with being mm-hmm. having multiple wives? Because we did a lot. Um, when it became... Did being the, the operative word there. Yes. This is like an old school thing? It's an old school thing. Um, when it was actually, you know, became illegal, we stopped doing it. Um, a lot of it was... If you go historically, a lot of it was the you know the reason given is because a lot of our men were killed off, which is fact. You know we people didn't like us. We were chased. <laughs> we were chased west until people got tired, um, and they were like, "Fine, they can live in Utah," and we kind of settled in Utah. Getting over the Rockies and was rough. <laughs> they're like, whatever, they're far enough. Who away. are you chased by? Um, who were Mormons chased by? By other group, other religions, other really? groups, yeah. And so, like, we were, um, we were kind of pushed out that way. And so we, we got there, but uh, you know, by kind of <laughs> being attacked, horrible things were done to our women. Um, our men were killed off a lot. Um, and so there was kind of you know reason. Um, in some cases to have like dudes pick up other, you know, Mm -hmm. wives who like widows and, you know, who had kids and, um, but that was not also, that's not always how that happened. Like lots of dudes were picking up like single 15 year old girls as wives. And, um, so, you know, you got this thing that seems very righteous and like, yeah, that makes sense in theory. Um, but then, you know. But then you got a bunch of horny dudes who. There's so much of that in, <laughs> uh, in, in, in reli- every religion. Yeah. Every denomination of anything, there's, there is like, so, even if things do start for a righteous mm-hmm. reason, there are men who are power hungry and yeah. horny. Yep. And they want to jump in and get theirs. So that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that. Uh, and then when it, it, it did become, you know, it became illegal, we stopped doing it. But at that point, the church splintered. Um, and so that's why you have still. You know, the FLDS. Um, What's that? It's the group that... So it's the other group of Mormons in um, Utah, um, Arizona, who they're like the polygamist groups. That's where mm-hmm. you get like your Warren Jeffs and your... Yeah, well, that's yeah. the one I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bill Paxton from Big Love. So, yeah, Bill Paxton. <laughs> he was how many one. wives? Who? How do we even know? Well, three. You I know. Check, check IMDb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, I remember I got asked that in high school too. I'm sure. Time. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm sure that thing people associate with us. Cause yeah. And I wonder how many people, like, it's interesting to hear dudes ask me like, well, what about the plural wives thing? Kind of being like, under the guise of like, this is crazy, but there's like a glint in their eye. Kind of like, oh like, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Right. You could have sex with so many people. You know, that whole idea. <laughs> got these bitches lined up. Yeah. yeah. Get them. <laughs> Cause isn't that like the fantasy, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, even though it's like, that's nuts. It but kind like, of is. But if then you remove if some of the laws, I wonder show. how many people. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The reality show of it. Yeah. I mean, you're like, oh, yeah. Also, you're like financially responsible. Yeah. Like, it's now not, you got to like spend equal time. Like, it's, it's not actually kind orgy. of a nightmare. No, yeah, it's a nightmare. It's not, yeah. It, it sounds like it. Yeah. It seems like a lot of, especially in Utah, but it seems like a lot of Mormons in general 
Mormon families have like a ton of kids. Mm-hmm. Is there any specific reason for that? Um, I mean, we're any like church reason, or so is it just we're told to like multiply and replenish the earth, which we take very seriously. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about that: we, I had a lot of like friends and neighbors in Utah who had a lot of kids, and it's amazing when. And most of them came from like families where they were one of like many kids. Um, they figured out how to do it efficiently. Um, I came from a family of five, but really, my the two parents I grew up with only had three kids together. Together, so growing up, I didn't necessarily I didn't like being the oldest of five. I had a lot of responsibility on me. Plus my mom did daycare. I was surrounded by kids. I never wanted to have a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I wanted to have one kid. I'm like, kids suck. Um, and so I never grew up wanting that or being in a house where that like functioned really well. And like your siblings are like your best friends and like you, you know, get along and work as like this cohesive unit. Like that was not my experience. But I'm, I see in a lot of families like Utah Mormon families, where that abs- it absolutely works. It runs like a pretty well. I'm not saying people don't have you know don't struggle, um, you know, with kids and you know dynamics and families, but like it run it runs really well and efficiently, and they're happy. Um, but that was not my experience. But yeah, that it's something that yeah, um, I think it just perpetuates from like you come from a big family. It works. You know, you have a pretty happy family and you turn around and like you want to also like have that. So. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting and also very sad about about the situation is there's a whole idea of which I think this is most religions, but the whole idea of keeping up appearances mm-hmm. is really big, seem, mm-hmm. seemingly. Yeah. Um, Mormon families are beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, and you you kind of enlightened me early on when I would visit you in, in Utah, a lot of the sort of pressure that a lot of the sort of LDS mothers and wives are up to mm-hmm. like they have, they put on themselves and are also put on them externally for like, they have to look like models, but also be amazing moms and yep. also be Martha Stewart and like Tyra Banks. Yep. And like, and so a lot of them get into, I don't know. You, can you talk a little bit about like sort of like what that plight is or what that experience yeah. is or if you want to. Um, so this, uh, this is where I feel like, you know, there's, th- it's obviously not Mormon doctrine that like you have to be hot and like, <laughs> that seems like um, an American idea. It's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure there's this thing where, and I think it's, it's on a larger scale, it's like women in general, mm-hmm. but it's like, you feel like no matter what you do, it might be the wrong thing. And so you try to do everything and you try to do everything perfectly. Um, so I think, you know, you have a bunch of kids, you're, you need to be like a great mom, you need to raise them well, you need to, um, you know, keep a clean home, like do the whole homemaker thing and do that very, you know, do it really well. Um, I'm not saying like, there are a lot of Mormon stay at home moms, not all of them. I don't know, probably, I don't know what the statistics are. I had probably half my friends worked, you know, didn't stay home all the time. Um, but if you do, you know, if you do stay home, it's like you try to also do like a small business, like a side thing because you need to be, you know, you want to be contributing and be bigger than like just being a mom or being like, I feel like women are, and it's not just a Mormon thing, but I see it a lot in Mormon women of being pulled so many different ways because you feel like you need to be 
so good at everything and you need to be hot. And sorry, I'm going to say this about Mormon guys, but like you see pictures of Mormon families and like so many times it's like a really pretty wife and a schlubby dude. And <laughs> I'm not saying that like, you know, they're like attractive Mormon men, obviously. Of course. But um, no, I've experienced that too. It's I feel like it's just so and maybe that's I've seen that here, too. Um, but it's something about women just always feeling like you have to keep up and be good at everything because I honestly think some of it is, you know, porn because so many LDS dudes are into porn. And so I feel like for me personally, that was a thing where I was like, well, now I need to be hotter. Like now I need to be cute. I need to be, um, which retrospect, that's, that's not, mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything one way or the other. It seems like the Madonna horror complex yeah, that which is an actual really is, complex man. that that idea of being this beautiful righteous holy person but also being this like sort of naughty subversive sexual being uh-huh. you have to be this per- you have to be you both at the same time yep and the dude just has to be present it seems like <laughs> i don't really know and i feel like here's the thing i feel like women can be both but i feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves to be one specific thing and that one specific thing is perfect at everything there because we don't drink there's you know there are a lot of like middle-aged white mormon housewives like with oxy problems because you've got because those are prescribed by a doctor so those are okay and so you've got like pain pill problems in housewives because we don't drink wine because you know we don't drink wine um because you have to abstain from sort of other societal norms like Mm -hmm. you know like the normal sort of like addictions or whatever like that are that are 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 just not only accepted uh like your coffee or your wine Mm -hmm. or like this kind of thing are are shut out so you have to go through sort of sneakier channels to get you know it's like so you they get hooked on like beauty products and Mm -hmm. you know botox and filler and like whatever it takes to you know keep yourself looking young and and fresh and sexual and keeping a man interested, your man interested and, um, but not being too hot for other people to look, you know? Well, yeah, because you're, you know, because you're responsible for men looking at you too. Like you, yeah, it's, it seems, and and this is, this is no, like, this isn't like, you know, a blow the roof off religion thing, but like so much of religion in general and in our experiences, especially is very misogynistic, very, um, the man is in control. The woman is there to service the man. Um, and there are a lot of, I mean, I, the idea of feminism is completely almost shut out completely. I, I, I grew up thinking that feminism was like a bad word and it meant that women were better and, and uh, than men and not really. Well, no, we hate men. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's man haters and yeah. you know, it, the world would be better off if men didn't exist. This mm-hmm. whole idea and the, and you know, when true feminism obviously is that we're all equal and we're all okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that's why so many political conservatives um, uh, are happen to be re- super religious or, or or tout their stuff to the re- to religious people because it's all about conserving traditions mm-hmm. and it's all about well it worked this way when I was a kid so it it this is the way it needs to be or this it worked this way it, it was good enough for my dad so it's mm-hmm. good enough for me oh really you were beat with a belt in public, like mm-hmm. across the face, you went to school with welts on you. That was okay. Like, well, I learned my lesson, didn't I? Like that whole idea. Well, it come from like generations and generations of like emotionally unavailable men. It's like, really? That that worked when you were a kid? That, that did not work when you were work. a kid. Didn't work yeah. then either, pal. Yeah. Just because you are, just because you're blind to your issues doesn't mean you don't have them. Right. That's what I'm trying yep. to say. 
Yeah. And there's so many people who we know personally <laughs> and we are related to uh, who have that kind of mentality. We're like, I don't know. I, were, I, I worked out great, man. My, my dad used to was always gone and, you know, whatever. Like I, I looked up for myself. I had to, I was my own, like pull myself from the bootstraps mm-hmm. and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, listen, you didn't grow up in like in the dust bowl. Like this is, it, it didn't, you know, this idea is problematic. The, the, there is a patriarchy in general and there's a patriarchy within the system of the church. And yeah. it seems like honestly, also not a shocker. The church seems to be keeping a lot of the patriarchy alive. Well, because you have patriarchy, that number one, it's not called patriarchy, and it is um, reinforced and kind of validated because it comes from God. So because it comes Who from God, man. who's a man, wink, wink, coming through other men, um, you know that's yeah, God the Father, like God, like it's so. it is really crazy. And it's a thread that, like, I remember being young and starting to pull, and I got sh- it got shut down real quick. Was like, well, who wrote the Bible? And it was like, well, men, and they got together in the Treaty of Nicaea or whatever, like, whatever it was mm-hmm. called, and got together and like wrote the Bible. But it was, but God was there with them and and guided their hand. And I was like, oh, okay. And then a few years later, you're like, but wait a second, like, they're just dudes, like yeah. they're just dudes, they're, yeah, who had an agenda. And a lot of that stuff, you know, they decided what went in and what didn't. I was like, this seems so, you know, and, and that's when you have to break it down. Like the idea of spirituality, the idea of God in whatever way you want to put, whatever context you want to put them in is ultimately good. The idea of a higher power is ultimately good mm-hmm. because it gets us out of our ego and out of ourselves and helps us become more present and more gra- like gracious gratitude is a big thing. Um, realizing that you're part of a bigger whole is it, all those things are wonderful mm-hmm. and serve in serving your fellow man and like loving people unconditionally. There are so many wonderful parts of religion that immediately get put in a box, immediately become weaponized, yeah. immediately start excluding people. Yeah. Once you start like structuring things in a religious fashion, even the best people, like we're saying, like men get power hungry and horny and like shit starts going sideways real fast. Yeah. And so a lot of those things are just so incredibly problematic, which is why when a lot of people are like, you know, don't give up on the church. Like, like it's okay. Like to be, you know, to be mad at it. We are too, but don't give up on it. I'm like, I really, I mean, I'm not here saying we need to burn it all to the ground, but it's very problematic and it goes centuries and generations right. deep. So how do you undo all that? You know, um, let's figure it out. What I ran into, <laughs> right. Let's solve it right here. Um, we are on a podcast. What I ran into a lot was, you hear over and over that like um, the church is perfect, you know, the gospel's perfect, the doctrine's perfect, but it's run by imperfect men, um, which cool. But those but imperfect men are the mouthpiece. Are the mouthpiece. And we're still supposed to take everything that they're saying as God's word, which is where I, I'm like, okay, well, which is it? Like, are they speaking for God and like, and that's it? Like the, these are words coming from our heavenly father Everything becomes problematic when it comes from God, but is filtered through imperfect men coming to Mm -hmm. us. Um, And I think the idea that like we're not really supposed to question that or question it just to a point um, is is an issue. One interesting thing that that I've that makes I think Mormons like Mormonism stand out from uh, other religions in my experience is that you guys have the Book of Mormon, Mm -hmm. which is correct me if I'm wrong isn't it able to be amended 
Aren't there like constant? Are there current prophets who are adding new? Not scripture? to the Book of Mormon. Okay, so so explain this because okay. this, this is the thing where this is the territory where when I was a kid and was taught about Mormonism, where Mormons get put into sort of the cult like status right, right. is because you have new for some reason the fact that our scriptures are you know thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of years old for some reason makes them more like relevant i don't know and more so but mormons are are it, the book of mormon is a new book and then okay what else explain yes. that to me okay so we have where how mormonism is different is we do have the bible um which we use we then have the book of mormon uh, which is another volume of scripture which is uh that's the one that was translated by joseph smith um and what that is is it's scripture uh, that was written from when after Christ was resurrected, visited his disciples in the Americas, um, and so that scripture comes from that. Um, and people have such a problem with that because for whatever reason, when Jesus was resurrected, he was he was allowed to see people there, but it's too much of a stretch to think that he <laughs> was able to go visit like people on a different continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's what that is. And then sure. um, the other thing we have is uh, modern day prophets, which is where we believe that we still have like the the head of our church, uh, the prophet of our church still speaks with God today, um, which again, people have such a problem with because for whatever reason, 2000 years ago, God was allowed to speak to a prophet on the earth, but it's insane to think that he would still do that now. Um, and so, which is where I get into like, why are you attacking my thing? Like your thing sounds just as dumb. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you're used to it. Um, and so <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> um, but so those are the big two, like the big two differences we have is modern day prophets and like other scripture. But that's why you hear even fairly recently, um, there was a whole thing with, um, I won't even get into that, but there's a whole thing with, with, there were policies quote unquote, and within the church for lack of a better understanding yes. of the terminology yeah. yep. that it were they were once okay or they were once were like banned and now it's okay yep um specifically with same-sex couples yep. and you're sort of like and people are like wait what like just in just because you decided like oh well what what and the, what was the argument there like god told us something <laughs> yeah but we weren't ready to Which hear is it where, or something? And, and these are the things that feel too problematic for me to stay in the church um and it's the fact that men won't say like we were uncomfortable with this mm-hmm. we weren't okay with this it's god told us you know heavenly father told us this and now heavenly father's fine with this and i don't know maybe there's sp- something we were supposed to learn in those couple of years and i'm like no <laughs> like that's not what that is yeah and i get that um it starts becoming an issue like if if the leaders of the church start admitting that this isn't like if they you know become liable for the things that they say and admit that you know it wasn't wrong or or that it was wrong and you know wasn't from god it you get into real murky territory but um well, that's when you can kind of make the mystery of god be whatever you want it to be if that's the case like well maybe he wanted us to learn something but it's not our job to which understand is, is it's like, just our job to yeah. comply Oh, so I feel like our church ran in the same thing when African-American men weren't allowed to, like they weren't given uh, the priesthood until the, well, not the, 70s, the year, right? the 70s. Um, and again, it was, it, it was like, well, it's not like, I'm like, would God not have realized all along that they were equal and should have had the priesthood? Like, why didn't they have it all along? Mm-hmm. And it's like, the world wasn't ready for it, you know? And it's like, yeah. we have to, and I'm like, okay, well. Uh, well, there's so many things I could say to that. <laughs> We don't have enough time. <laughs> but it's also, here's the thing I'm figuring out, though. Like, that's, it's within my own religion, but so many things are not Mormon-specific 
their religion specific or they're you know just mm-hmm. christian wide you know it's it's not necessarily a mormon thing i'm i'm realizing that mormons aren't any weirder than anybody else but um and a lot of our issues aren't mormon specific either so they're really not yeah there's so much to unpack <laughs> i don't know how to pivot into this but let's just pivot Okay, let's just pivot. New Flora. Yeah, what's up? Tell me about how you were born and stuff. Oh, it was so good. I came out of a vagina. Yeah. Um, that sounds magical. In the early 80s. Mm-hmm. My parents were Southern Baptists when I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the church that they went to. And uh, I was born in St. Louis, outside St. Louis, Missouri. But it very quickly, my parents sort of like moved to... Because my dad was a musician, still is. And uh, he, he kind of like took the nightclub life or whatever, like playing in bands and that kind of thing in the seventies and uh, went the more church music route. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we just kind of bounced around from church to church. And a lot of times um, in the system, quote unquote, of like Southern Baptist um, convention is what it's called. You get like, Hey, this so-and-so church is looking for a music minister, you know, and it's in Oklahoma or Arkansas mm-hmm. or whatever. So we kind of bounced around a little bit and my dad decided to get. So his... those are like paid things. Yes. In your... Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's one thing there's that we difference. talked about. Yeah. yeah because mm-hmm. in, in Southern Baptist churches and I think most churches, there's a, there like there are positions of the sort of clergy. We, we didn't call them that, but in the sort of Anglican mm-hmm. uh, tradition, they're called the clergy and Catholic, but we, we just have staff church staff, mm-hmm. um, which is like the music minister is like oh, the secretary of state. It's mm-hmm. like the president is the pastor. There's an associate pastor. That's like the vice president. He takes care of a lot of the day-to-day stuff overseeing a lot of the day-to-day stuff. So the pastor can like focus on like, um, take, you know, visiting hospitals, mm-hmm. you know, when church members are sick or like, uh, officiating weddings or working on sermons or like doing count one-on-one counseling um, with people in church and stuff like that. And, uh, and then, yeah, the, the music minister is kind of like the secretary of state. He's taking care of a lot of like you know, primarily music related things, mm-hmm. but he's like third in succession. Um, so when we were in like Sunday school, if like the music minister would come in, we'd be like, Oh, it's like a celebrity's here. Like, Oh, and you're like a little kid. <clears throat> um, but I was always the music minister's kid. And my dad that was kind of his side job. He would do a lot of interim work, which means he would, he would come in whenever they were looking for a new music minister. He would kind of stand in. Um, cause he, he went to school, um, when I was a child, like a little later than normal. Um, like in his thirties, whatever, went to school to get his doctorate and everything and actually teach college, teach like music at, at, a, at a school, albeit a Southern Baptist school. <laughs> so it wasn't that too far off. Yeah. But but I, I grew up mostly going to a lot of rehearsals and going to a lot of like church functions that most, there were no other kids there because the staff kids had to come. So mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of friends that were like pastor kids and stuff like that, um, who pastor kids overall are the worst. Like there's that, there's a cliche, but mm-hmm. it's not wrong. Pastor kids tend to be the worst behaved. And uh, yeah, we had the same thing with Bishop's kids. Is it? Okay. Yeah. But you guys don't have paid positions. No, ours, ours are all volunteer. So you get a calling, um, and it's... Uh, Is it from God or like Bill down the street? Uh, kind of both. Who's calling? <laughs> if Bill happens to be like the bishop of your ward, right. which our congregations are called wards. Uh, yeah, so we when there's like an, an opening for like a, a position that needs filled, uh, you just pull from the congregation mm-hmm. and you pull that person in. It's a volunteer position for a while. Interesting. Yeah, I've had those. Yeah, that was a really that was a big surprise to me. Like talking to you about this stuff, like 
Yeah. It seems None of a it's little paid bit. until you get really up and like the, the dudes in the suits that you see like on TV, mm-hmm. like those, they're paid okay. at that point. But yeah, just you're. Uh, from my experience anyway, the, the, um, the like Southern Baptist upbringing and everything, the, it, it was very capitalistic. So if you um, had a big church, like your salary was paid through uh, tithing was so people would come and pay like 10, your, the tithing was like 10% of your income. Right. And if you had a big church, obviously that meant more tithes. And if you had, if you lived in a wealthy suburb, um, you know, if you look at like the difference between sort of the church down the street on the corner and then Joel Osteen's church in right. Houston or Dallas, wherever he is, yeah. um, it's on TV and he's in like a mega dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the people going to his church are like super rich oil tycoons. That's why he's like a multimillionaire right. and has jets and stuff. And yours is pulled and put into temples. See, that's where, yeah. I don't know which one is better. We, we've spread ours evenly. <laughs> it, okay. Well, I don't know. Somewhat, somehow that seems better. But uh, so, so the idea, like, the, the idea is like, you know, it, this wasn't my experience, but you see a lot of, a lot of people's, idea who didn't grow up religious their idea of what religion is is by televangelist people on tv uh-huh. and stuff and and that is sort of what's known as the, as the prosperity gospel so do you so okay so like give southern us baptist okay so are those some of those people you see on, are yes. they southern baptist a lot of them are okay. and and a lot of i don't they they do a really good job of sort of being non-denominational mm-hmm. like we don't we we, we toe the line so like you can kind of like they don't really talk about specific denominations. So you can attach whatever your personal ones, one is onto them because their idea is they want everybody's money Mm -hmm. (laughs) because everybody's money spends the same. And so their, their idea of the prosperity gospel is very, is, is, is a scam. I'm not even going to like sugarcoat it. It's a scam to be like, if you give me like the last $75 in your bank account, God will bless you um, because you're giving, because I have a bigger mouthpiece than you. So I can reach more people. Mm-hmm. So if you give me all your money, I can buy this jet. So we don't have to r- charter one, mm-hmm. and we can fly all over the, all over the world and preach the gospel. When all you're really doing is like buying him a fucking vacation to right. Florida Keys or Bahamas right. or whatever. And you know, and you see over and over again, uh, you know, the thing about the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. All, you see all right. these people getting in trouble because um, now there's accountability, especially. But even in the '80s and stuff, like they would get in trouble for you know because they were running essentially like money laundering and like there's also they're, they're running a scam operation they were saying it was one thing and when it's actually another one is the whole thing of like even if it starts out like pure and altruistically power hungry and horny those yeah. are the two things that, it, that this is the <laughs> yeah. theme of this whole uh, yeah. this is why religion organized religion gets so tricky yeah. uh and gets problematic real quick because uh, you get a taste of that and i mean i will say that the, the church the last church that i went to uh that I was a member of quote unquote here in Nashville was a church that I love the way they did it because they would get once they would meet at a place that wasn't their own building. They would meet at like a school or um, like a music venue. Mm-hmm. And once it outgrew that the congregation would grow exponentially, they would not move to a bigger building. They would just set up another campus in another part That's of town. Mm-hmm. So, you don't get a big head and then they put somebody else in charge of that. And it's called the same church, but the location was differently mm-hmm. and, and different. And I really like that because it doesn't, you're not putting mortal man with a sort of performer attitude mm-hmm. and personality in front of 
mega millions of mm-hmm. people, you know, or, you know, that's an exaggeration, but in front of the multitudes, you're still putting them in front of 300 people, which is its own power trip. But at some point it keeps the ego in somewhat check, which I, but the idea of, you know, we growing up and especially Southern Baptist, our church was always, I grew up in a really small town um, or a moderate, moderately small town uh, of 10,000 people or so. But there, there was the idea of the, the whole goal was like, we want to outgrow this building so we can mm. get a bigger one so we can serve. But once you do that, like it starts being real swanky and everybody mm-hmm. gets like, you know, you start losing the, the sort of every man touch mm-hmm. of like being able to reach everybody. Cause you walk in there and you're immediately like, Oh, I don't belong here. You know, when you walk into a really swanky office or really swanky, yeah. like, you know, marble building and you're like, Oh, I don't, belong here at all um it was it's it's more of that like it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel you don't feel you're supposed to feel comfortable you're supposed to feel like you know come as you are and ultimately and one of the big problems i have grow especially with the way i was raised was um if i went to church in t-shirt and shorts i would get immediately kicked out or it you know and mostly by my mom (laughs) she'd be like you're not allowed to go to church like that And I was like, well, what, what is come as you are? Like, why can't I come as I am? You know? And that's one thing. Another thing I liked about the last church I went to here in Nashville was you literally could come. People would come in pajama pants and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was like, nobody batted an eye. It was like, yeah, literally come as you are, which is, you know, which is the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, I don't think God really cares about, you know, the way that we dress or whatever. But with going back to my experience with that, so Southern Baptists, they harp mostly like the Baptist part comes from John the Baptist, who is one of uh, Jesus's disciples and also a relative. Um, uh, it's been a long time since I've studied the Bible, but pretty sure they're cousins. Yeah, they're cousins. Yeah. Um, and he his whole thing was he was a ragtag kind of like mountain man. Uh, he would eat locusts and stuff. Um, I really like the guy, uh, but uh, unlike anybody that like went to our church, he wasn't anything mm-hmm. like. <laughs> right. It's the whole idea like Jesus wouldn't be welcome because he would be turned away if he came to American modern um, you know church, which is not wrong. Um, but his whole thing was like they, they showed Jesus baptize like G- he was baptizing people in the river as a sort of a, a profession of faith, like de- death to my old, old way of life mm-hmm. and rebirth to my new way of life. And so Jesus saw this happening once and went down to the river and was like, baptize me, John. And John was like, you know, you don't need to be like, you're Jesus. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if like Daniel day Lewis came to an acting class, you're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't know, man, I want to pick up some tips. Uh, I'm like, no, um, it's kind of, it's similar to that. So, and he was like, no, I want to show, I want to, it's like, if people are going to do this, I want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Classic Jesus. Classic Jesus. <laughs> so he was baptized and it was, it's, it's, uh, you know, immortalized in scripture and everything. So we took that and ran with it. And there are, mul- there are different denominations of Baptist. Um, I, I say it all, like all the time. It's like saying that vanilla ice cream is the only kind. And somebody's like, yeah, but have you tried chocolate and they're like get out of here not even that but like we tried strawberry classic vanilla and vanilla bean that's kind of what it is yeah it is yeah it's like have you tried it with sprinkles like get out like why are you trying to tempt me satan um it was like when ultimately why don't we just get neapolitan everybody's happy uh when i was a kid church was very similar to what you were talking about it was kind of my social circle Mm -hmm. uh because when i was a kid I, i i really liked going because all my friends were there and, you know, there's a certain point where I think middle school, when you start becoming very aware, like self-aware and you're not just like friends with everybody, you know, because bodies start changing, your body's changing. You're very aware of like, you know, people kind of start breaking off into 
to subsects and mm-hmm. like cliques and stuff at church was kind of an amazing thing because that would happen there too. But in my, in my experience, like we were, it was all kind of all inclusive. Like we would all do things right. together. Like when you were before a youth group, which was seventh grade, um, there would be like vacation Bible school which we're, which is basically in the, the for a week in the summer, um, they'd invite everybody from the neighborhood. Like everybody was invited, not just church members. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like under the guise of like, we're going to play like water games and like do crafts and, and eat, you know, off brand Oreos. <laughs> but then Jesus was like slapped on the end of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and go home and ask your parents like where, where they're going when they go to hell kind of thing. They don't come to church. Well, let's guilt them into coming, you know, this whole thing. And, and, um, but the, overall it was, it kind of everybody, we would have like parts of vacation Bible school is everybody together. So everybody was, it was like an equalizer kind of thing. And I think as naturally, like we are dividing, we divide ourselves into groups, but church tried, especially to do a really good job of like making sure that, you know, like senior high school students would take care of like seventh graders and like seventh graders would like make, you know, third graders feel included. Mm -hmm. It was all about inclusion for a lot of it. So if there was like a cool cool guy at school like an older cool guy in high school and maybe in school he wouldn't necessarily be like you know in your clique or whatever but then like at church like you're all talking together like mm-hmm. is that a thing where it's like 100 percent, yeah yeah i mean literally that like we the the star of the basketball team in high school was our pastor's son and so like i could say hi to him in the, in the halls and he would he would like noogie me like in a loving way you know like mm-hmm. hey yeah, buddy like right like you know and it was so you know in high school that's like currency like, oh, an upperclassman paid attention to me in a positive way publicly mm-hmm. was kind of this like unheard of thing. So I really liked that part of it. I mean, I, I had a lot of friends at school who didn't go to the same church as me or churches at all. So I had that group of friends and then I also had my church friends. And so there was a, but I am such a social person and all of the things now, I don't go to church anymore, but like all of the things now that I look back on when I look back on like with on the fond stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's all having to do with the social aspect of yeah, it. It's all same. team building stuff. It's like, you know, I know you guys have like dances and stuff, yeah. right? You, you've we spoken had, very fondly. Of yeah. That. We had like monthly dances where we would pull kids from, you know, a 50, 60 mile radius, you know, and just like pull. Those were so fun. And like the weekly activities, we'd have like scavenger hunts and we go bowling and we'd like, do all these things every Wednesday night. And so, yeah, it was a big, and since it was a different group than like kids I went to school with, same thing where I had like mm-hmm. church friends and then I had like school friends. Yeah. It was, there were, there was a big emphasis, especially in the youth group, um, which was seventh through 12th grade. And they were divided up between junior high and senior high. And then we'd do stuff together, but there was a big emphasis on like abstaining from sex, mm-hmm. abstaining premarital sex is like one of the worst things you can do. Um, I found out later that everybody was doing it, but me, um, <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> like finding that out when you're like 20 and oh, you're like, you, you meet up with people and like, Oh yeah, we were totally having sex. Um, we just didn't, you know, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and it's with like girls that like, I was like, Oh, like girls I liked, you find out, you know, girls you liked at church camp. They're like, Oh yeah. So-and-so in the youth group and her totally like hooked up and mm-hmm. you're like, what? We weren't allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I was such a rule follower. Like that was the thing is like, I, I like being told what the rules are. And I wasn't like a kiss ass, like suck up kid, but I definitely, cause I was a really quiet kid, believe it or not. I'm catching up now um, by talking and having podcasts, but bring, bring there, there was a, <laughs> I love it. there was a lot of like, 
Um, I liked having it like knowing what my parameters were. Right. I, I think kids like that. Kids yeah. kids crave structure and they like having knowing kind of where their limitations are. My youngest kid it loves that. It's it's a know. craving. Yeah. You well, know? it gives you yeah, it gives you the structure that you can be free within that structure. Yes. So it's like when you know what the, the exact parameters are, you're like, cool. It feels safe. Like you operate right in that zone. And now I, I still have that as an adult. I I crave in structure, but the caveat is I have to create it. Mm -hmm. So if I create like a creative routine or a routine for myself, I like to, I don't like having somebody boss me, mm -hmm. but I like to have, um, to know that I have the freedom to extend a period of time or like take one thing out and do it later, like in a routine and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But a lot of that comes from, that's why church resonated so much with me is because I like knowing that on Sunday mornings, we'd have Sunday school and then we go to church and then on Sunday nights we come back for which essentially is night Sunday school, which we call discipleship training, which oddly enough is where I learned about, we learned about a different religion each week or mm -hmm. each month or whatever. And so it's where I learned about Latter-day Saints and, you know, very wrongly. It's hilarious. If I could go back now and relive that class, I'm sure that it's, it's just hilariously stereotyped um, <laughs> with all the religions of the world. And there was also, it was coupled with like, here's what they believe, but like, you know, kind of with the silent jerk off motion, like, mm -hmm. yeah, but no, let's not follow. Mm -hmm. Let's not put too much on there. But here's what also where they're wrong. You know, that whole right. thing. Um, it's chocolate and vanilla all over again, <laughs> or vanilla bean and classic vanilla. Well, Mormonism has like the kind of like bless your heart thing where it's like, mm -hmm. you, you got some of it, honey. But like, we are all up on ourselves, like a lot about like having like the fullness of the gospel. Yeah. Like we have the whole truth. Like all you chumps have like parts of it. Like good you, job kind of getting it. parts of it. But like uh, I, well, I remember like Mormons coming to our come Mormon missionaries coming to our door, mm -hmm. um, which I want to talk about that in a minute because we both have missionaries, uh -huh. but they're very different. Yeah, and not that, but we'll get to that in a second. But missionaries would come to the door, and my mom, who was like Sunday school teacher from like the time she was in her twenties and led all these Bible studies and stuff and was a, is a very, like to this day still studies scripture. Like you would study for like your dissertation, mm -hmm. uh, just for fun. Like this is her, her hobby. If she has a hobby, this is it. Um, and like these 20 year old Mormon missionaries, like, talking very and it was kind of there There was a smugness to it of like mm, that's cute that you think you know yeah. and my mom coming at it with like mm, that's cute that you think you know right. and it was the most passive aggressive standoff <laughs> i've ever seen and like it made me so uncomfortable i just backed out of the room <laughs> like that homer simpson gif where he just like slides right. into the bushes like i would just i was like this is because there's a lot of smiling and gritting through teeth but right. it's like oh my gosh but uh Let's talk a minute about missionaries. Okay. So what is the deal with Mormon missionaries and why do they keep knocking on our doors? Okay. So <laughs> part of the, like, the main goals, the main, like, tenets of Mormonism is to, like, perfect the saints. And so for us, that means not only do we believe what we believe, but we need to really actively and kind of aggressively try to get everyone else to realize that we're right and to join us. <laughs> okay, so that's part of it. We also, part of the thing, here I'm going to give away, it's not really a secret. <laughs> everyone thinks that like our temples are so like, what happens in there? You I don't can know. literally Google it. You can, you can Google it. And there's stuff on YouTube probably. But um, Definitely on Reddit. It's, um, 
we do like baptisms like for our dead. So we do like these church ordinances for our ancestors also so that like everyone has had like these things and then like everyone on earth, like everyone alive now, like we go out and we actively like we try to find them and bring them to us so that they have also the opportunity to accept those things because we think that like every, you know, this is like the true thing and we want everyone to have the opportunity. We're going to aggressively tell you about it, like to, you know, about this opportunity. It's not essential oils, but kind of. <laughs> and so um, we, you know, we have kids um, for boys, it's 18 for girls, it's 19. Um, and, you know, you go out for guys is two years. I think girls is still 18 months. Is it assumed or is, do you have to sign up for um, it? You. It's not like the draft. It's not. A, no, no, no. Um, and it's not, it's kind of assumed, um, you know, it's kind of assumed that if you're doing it right, that's what you do when you turn 18. Um, my oldest got that a lot, you know, about like whether or not, like, so like, are you going to go on a mission? You're going to go on a mission? And he stopped going to church when he was probably, I don't know, 15. Um, and so he was like, no. And people would kind of try to like say stuff about him going and he's like, well, I don't know, like, don't you kind of have to go to church to do that? Or, like, don't you kind of have to, like, believe in the church to do that? Mm -hmm. And he didn't at that point. Um, And so it's not, it's kind of assumed that if you're doing everything right, that's what you do when you turn 18. Um, For girls, not as much. Uh, But but boys are kind of expected to. And so for girls, it's if you turn 19 and you kind of haven't haven't already found the guy that you maybe want to possibly marry... (laughs) For all eternity. <laughs> right. Then, you know, you might want to go on a mission, too. For the more progressive girls, you go on a mission. Um, so, and then also, you can go as senior couples. Mm-hmm. So, like, once your kids are grown, and like, your house is paid off, and you're like, I don't know, what should we do? Like, should we travel? Like, some people go on a mission. So, you have senior missionaries, too, who um, will go out for a couple of years when they're old and retired. So, yeah, it's to, we want everybody to hop, have the opportunity to join us. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because I've talked to many, um, you know, a handful of them over, over the course of my life. Um, and it you don't realize until I think it was until like you guys moved here from Utah uh, that and they would show up like realizing how young they were. I know. Like I always thought these these were like, you know, like young pastors and stuff like that. I was like, no, a lot of them are 18, they are 19, and they're mm-hmm. such kids. Well, there's a cutoff. I think it's 25. So they're definitely not any older than like 25. And that's, a, you know, in, in my experience with, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, like missionaries are any age. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like people who are feel, it's, they call it being called to the ministry, mm-hmm. um, which is confusing because we're supposed to supposedly all call to the ministry, but this is a more specific, like I'm going to make it my job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is this and a paid thing or is it a volunteer thing? It's a paid by charity. It's paid by like churches take a special offering, okay. like different churches. If you, and so they, I don't know exactly all the ins and outs of it. I just know that from time to time they would take like a special offering for one Sunday for, and they would put up the picture on the, on the screen of like a, of a, of a missionary, some dude, none of us know. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, or some family. And he'd be like, they're, you know, missionaries in Uganda. And we're this week, all our money is going to them. And I think that they kind of go around to each church sometimes literally, but when they come back on, on leave, they'll come around and sometimes be on leave for like a year in a city. And a lot of times we had like just a new kid in class who was a missionary kid and he was only going to be here in eighth grade. And mm-hmm. then the next year they'd be gone. So they come back for a year to a different you know, since they kind of were wanderers, we come back and we come to our church and then 
our tithing would go to them or they would come and give like a presentation mm-hmm. and we would give all the tithe to them. They would show the work that they were doing and they would go all over the place. And there was home missionaries and away missionaries and away missionaries were, it's just in the United States and not in the United States. Um, so that's why like a missionary was like, Next Can you be level. like married and like take your family? Yeah, you take your whole you? family. That's okay. why, I'm, yeah, the, gotcha. there are a lot of MKs or missionary kids that you'd meet, and especially like the church or the, the college that my parents taught at in my hometown that was a Baptist university. And there were a lot of missionary kids that ended up going to school there. So you, missionary kids were mm-hmm. very similar to the way that I related to people uh, is like Lindsay Lohan's character in Mean Girls. It's kind of like that Mm -hmm. where like, I don't know if you remember, but her character, her parents were like in the Peace Corps or something. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like that where she came back and didn't know a lot of pop culture references Mm -hmm. because she spent her youth in like South America. It was like that where they would come and they didn't know a lot of sort of normal things. And it's very similar to like, so there's a lot of missionary kids, a lot of homeschool kids, which that's another level of like, like, oh, they just don't, they're kind of socially awkward and they don't really know um, personal space very well. They either talk way too much or not at all. Uh, and they don't make eye contact or make way too much eye contact. You know, there's a lot of like, so, and then you intersperse that through, but that's kind of what the youth group is made up. And then kids that just go to public school and then some kids go to Christian school. Like, and so it's just kind of, it's a mishmash of like, you can make a pop culture reference joke and everybody not get it, but for different reasons. Right. I just put that together. <laughs> like literally, like you can make a joke. And that's why everybody goes back to the same like churches or cliche. They only use like sports metaphors because most people know mm-hmm. how to, you know, especially growing up in the South in the eighties and nineties, like you grew, you knew sports stuff. Cause I was kind of like King, but like you could make like a pop culture reference and somebody wouldn't get it because they literally weren't in the United States when that thing was a thing. They homeschooled and their parents don't let, let them watch TV or, you know, they, or it was like me where it was like heavily, like TV was heavily monitored, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, leads into that. Like I was definitely like, it was, it's not across the board, but in my experience, I media was heavily monitored. We didn't have cable until I moved out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. They got cable and internet in the same day. <laughs> I didn't have internet growing up. So a lot of that stuff I missed out on if it wasn't on NBC, CBS or ABC, and then eventually Fox or PBS. Um, I didn't know about it. And so there was a lot of stuff that I missed out on. You know, we'd go visit grandma and get like MTV and Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon and Comedy Central. And we would just like sit in front of the TV the whole time. And uh, my parents were like, get out here, you know, like go play in the yard. Or like, that's all we do at home. Please let us like take in. I need to know pop culture references when my friends make them at school. I want to know Ren and Stimpy references. But uh, that was heavily, especially music. Okay. Tell me about Christian music. Okay. This is so different than I know. Yeah. One, one of the great blessings of my life is having the conversations with you about Christian music because it's so yeah, because <laughs> it's so foreign to me. So okay, so Mormons like we have our own media. We have like like when I was a teenager, like the big songwriter person was like Janice Cat Perry, and so See, we, I don't know who we that have. Is. I know it's because it's only for us. You guys get everything, okay? And you and you chase this out west. We get our own stuff and you don't get to listen to it. So, like, we have our own, like, we had our own stuff and there's more of it even now. But, like, we literally have, like, our own bookstores and our own publishers and our own, like, everything is, like, just for us. And so we have, like, Deseret Book where, like, it's all like Mormon, like, books everything. and music and stuff is, yeah, and movies. And so I didn't have that as a teenager. I didn't have, like, I didn't know Christian music was a thing. 
That mm-hmm. it's so okay. So tell me. Most people don't. I mean, people kind of know that it is a thing because there are like your handful of crossover artists over the years. Most notably, like Amy Grant. Um, in the mid '90s, there was Jars of Clay, um, Switchfoot in the early 2000s. There's like bands that kind of make Pod was really big in the early 2000s. That that's a Christian band. Um, I'm trying to think. Like right now, Lauren Daigle is kind of the. She hasn't become a huge hit, but she has a sort of song mercy me i can only imagine was a song that kind of i heard on actual radio like we had christian radio and then there was like secular radio Mm -hmm. anything that wasn't christian so we all we had all that too we have christian bookstores and which is what i would go to to find my christian music and so they have christian bookstores christian publishers christian record labels um whatever there was and i think initially it was created as an evangelical tool you know, because at one point, you know, in the 1800s and stuff, like everybody was assumed to be Christian. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of like all media, if you could, you could reference God and put him on your money as we did. And it was kind of not a big deal because everybody was assumed that everybody believed in God. And sort of as pop culture became a thing in the 50s and stuff, it was like, no, let's let's represent all things. And Christian stuff kind of got lost in that. So a lot of Christian media, music specifically, was like, well, we're not getting our experience across now that like, it's the pendulum swings, mm-hmm, you know, right. over the over the decades and over the centuries. And so Christian music kind of became really big in the in the 80s and uh, 90s. But there was, you know, Christian music in the 70s, too, where it was just like we, we want to have our viewpoint vantage point accurately represented. So but it, a lot of it was strictly evangelical. It was like. But not in a good way, because if you <laughs> there's a lot of satanic panic in the 80s, a lot of like the Jesus people kind of the like hippies essentially who were like, it was all about peace and love, man. And they're still around. Um, Cornerstone festival was a big, big music festival founded by them. And it only stopped being a festival like 10 years ago. Um, I went to it as a teenager and it was amazing. Uh, But you know, there'd be 40,000 people Mm -hmm. watching these bands. And then you could drive a mile and a half to a gas station and mention those bands and nobody there knows who it is. So that it was very insular. Um, but a lot of it that was supposed to be evangelical, which is like, we, we, we need to tell the outside world about our experience and that they need to come join us. And then eventually it, it, it's kind of turned into singing. It's, it's the epitome of the echo chamber. It's the epitome of, you know, like let's, we're singing to people in our church. It's, pre, it's preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just recycle the things that we know and encourage the, the members of, of our congregation, quote unquote, um, so we can, you know, just keep the message and encouragement of like, you're stay on the right path. You're doing the right thing. Don't, don't worry about your struggles too much. Cause God's got you a lot of that. And a lot less like, Hey, I'm worried about your soul. Like, I'm worried that you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior, that you're going to go to hell because we have heaven and hell. It's a very big thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys do too. Um, but there is a we have several different kingdoms. It's okay. It's, it's complicated. Another way you're better than us. Look, we have options. We like. To- <laughs> I like options. That's very appealing to me. Um, but so, but my experience with Christian music was I. So I wasn't allowed to listen to. I had an older brother. I still do. Uh, but he was growing up was older than me to the point where like he got all the cool stuff first, which a lot of older siblings do. Um, but he was like the right age for like Nirvana and, you know, eventually Marilyn Manson and all this kind of subversive coming out of this sort of early nineties into the mid nineties, grunge movement, Pearl jam, Alice in chains, all this stuff. And so all that stuff was terrifying to me because before that him and I were just listening to like weird Al Yankovic. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and like oldies. You know, we're like, okay. Did your parents know what he was listening to? Like, they like, they, did they figured care? it out. Okay, because he started getting in trouble um, and dressing differently. You know, he had the nine inch nail shirt, the NIN. You know, mm-hmm. like wearing his hair like Kurt Cobain, and kind of just started dressing differently. And his attitude changed, and he was just going through like puberty hit him so hard, and he was just like a goth kid, kind of grunge kid, kind of. And so they they would do the thing when you go to school, they would just go through his room right. and they would find all this stuff. And, you know, my mom is is the epitome of the satanic panic parent. Um, you know, the, it kind of started during the Kiss Army days and they're like secret messages in our music mm-hmm. that are leading our kids astray. And this is all where Christian music came from it's, it's a, as a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And so she was terrified of all that stuff. And uh, because you know, because she subscribed to literal newsletters and magazines put out by Baptist publications and stuff saying you're right to worry. These are artists who are, Mm. are portraying hell and Satanism. And like, this is Satan trying to reach our kids. We can't let them in the door. And so, which, which is hilarious. Cause if you talk to Marilyn Manson, he's just a dork. Like if you hear him in interviews, he's just a giant, like goth nerd. Well, even looking at him now, you realize he's just, yeah, a he's just dork. a dude yeah, he's not scary um, anymore. But, but that was the whole, that was very new. And especially as a new parent, you know, right. relatively new, we're, we're, you know, 10 years old to 14 years old. You're like, ah, I have to do everything on my power. And if you he live in a bubble, so bad. Oh my gosh. So bad. So my brother got everything. First yeah. child gets everything. And I got screwed and I was the good kid. Yeah. I was scared of that stuff on my own. I didn't need to be scared anymore. And so that's a whole other episode is like this, my, the dynamic between my brother and, and I, but like a lot of that, I got some good stuff out of that too, which is like, whenever he whenever he was very in tune with the fads so whenever like a band was no longer cool he would give me all the music mm-hmm. that he bought in that time so i got into weezer you know i'll be at five years late uh or like blues traveler dave matthews band all these bands that were like not considered cool anymore and i didn't know because i was like 13 and i was like so i just ate it up because mm-hmm. and it was kind of in secret too because my parents were like very heavily monitoring what we would do so he mm-hmm. would try to slip in you know, he would put like a nine inch nails CD into like a, a, a class. I remember him, him, he bought like the classic works of Mozart, like double disc. And he was like, yeah, I'm really into classical music. And I was like, huh, that's weird that my brother's really into classical music all of a sudden. I mean, he is a weirdo, but like, um, but then you would open it up and it'd be like nine inch nails and, <laughs> and, uh, like screaming trees like this, you know, really scary, you know, stuff. So you would, ha- he, he got cl- more clever with the way he would hide it. But because of that, Onto me, like um, my parents started introducing me to Christian music because it was like told to my parents through, you know, like through whatever their youth, like you. So you have a young kid. Here's what you should, you know, all these newsletters and magazines mm-hmm. they would get from Focus on the Family was a big mm-hmm. thing in my house. Um, and so it, it was like, here, listen to this. So if you're if your kid has a penchant for hard rock, why don't they listen to this band? And, you know, it quite literally got to the point where Christian record labels were being created just to be like the Christian copycat of whatever was popular mm-hmm. in the secular it's world. So fascinating to me. Yeah. It, so if literally like there is, there was a, like, do you like um, 311? Here's PAX 217. Do you like Blink 182? Here's Reliant K. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do you like, uh, Gin Blossoms, here's Small Town Poets. Like there was a, and and what sucks is a lot of these bands, Christian bands were like honestly good dudes and they were trying to make really good music, but it was just being watered down. Mm-hmm. And you realize that kind of like in their tenure as they would kind of grow as a band, 
and get dropped by record labels and put out independent music, you're like, oh, they were really good. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was kind of this mentality of all of this music being all these bands being signed because there was money in it all of a sudden because they had youth groups mm-hmm. who would pay lots of money for physical copies of their music and then come to their shows. Right. So they had just like a built in audience and it blew up. But in a, in my mind, it blew up, but not really because there were people at my school who didn't know who the hell, you know, Switchfoot or right. five iron frenzy was they were a ska band. Um, but the beautiful thing about it was because they were just labels were had all this money. They were just signing every garage youth group band and throwing them against the wall to see what stuck. Mm-hmm. And because of that, thankfully, some really good art was made <laughs> accidentally. And so I was like obsessively seeking out as a 16, 17 year old starting to learn to play guitar, those bands. Like there were bands that I still like Jars of Clay was one of them. Um, which you know, Jars of Clay, mm-hmm. uh, because they, I mean, they had a hit on cro- the radio. I know the crossover people, so like, I know, yeah. Grant, I know Jars of Clay, yeah. and because of that, like, Jars of Clay, Caveman's Call, the the Normals, um, even in, in the sort of ska punk vein, there was a lot of bands that were like legit, even like they would even tour with quote unquote secular artists from time to time. Um, you know, there's Pedro the Lion, there's a lot of people who like who once they got out under the under the sort of umbrella of Christian music, they really got to grow and you really see that, you know, they kind of Christian music kind of had them in a chokehold, but they actually had the, the propensity to make really interesting art. And so at that time I, I was just obsessed with finding the good stuff amidst all of the noise mm-hmm. um, that was sort of being marketed to me. Like, Hey, please look over here. Don't look at MTV. Please don't watch VH1. Please don't listen to secular radio. And so eventually I got to the point where my parents saw that I wasn't going to be like a drug head, like, mm-hmm. you know, like I wasn't going to copycat my brother. Um, so I just, they kind of like opened it up and I could listen by, by the time I was a junior, senior in high school, they were like, just don't, you know, be your brother. We don't care what you do. And I was like, okay, you got it. Cause I was a good kid, you yeah. know? So, and by that I followed all the rules. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I followed all the rules, which eventually got me into trouble. I don't know. We'll get into that in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But so you can do that up until you can't. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even like crapping on it. A lot of Christian media is laughable, but there was a lot of it that really informed who I was. And and a lot of those people now moving to Nashville and still being in the music industry, I'm friends with and hearing their side of the story. It's not my story to tell, but it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It really is just, it just goes to show it's in the same way. The like, when I talk about religion, my, my religious upbringing and you talk about yours, we're like, Oh, we're the same. Like if you talk about a Christian record label and you know, a a non Christian record label, it's the same, sometimes even shadier because they're using the guise of God Mm -hmm. and like, you know, they're, they're a little more self-righteous, but like a a big part, one thing that we, that that we kind of skipped over that I, that I wanted to talk about was one, like kind of theological difference is that this is a good different name for the same thing. Mm-hmm. A big tenement in, in Christianity is the, the, um, the Trinity, mm-hmm. the Holy Trinity, which yeah. is, we have God, the father, mm-hmm. God, the son, which is Jesus, who is also God, but also different. Mm-hmm. It's not confusing. And, uh, and then the Holy spirit mm-hmm. or the Holy ghost. Right. And, um, he is more mysterious and maybe gender fluid. We don't know, but it's mm-hmm. never discussed. Right. Um, it's just assumed that if, if there's any leader in the church, it's a male. Right. So we have, they work in tandem, but they are three separate things. And the God is the creator. Jesus is, is sort of our savior Mm -hmm. is coming to save us from ourselves. And the Holy spirit convicts us 
those are the three functions of it. So it's the Godhead three in one. Mm-hmm. What's okay. your version of that? Okay, so but the Trinity means that they're actually the same person. Is it three? Is it three iterations of the same person? Like I'm trying it's, to. It's conflicting. Okay. I'm From just, my okay. understanding, somebody my smarter than me and more well versed in it will might might actually correct me here. But I really do think that it is. Okay. It's three in one. Uh-huh. They're the same person. The right. three parts of the same person mm-hmm. are spread out. Yeah. Okay. It makes it makes sense and then doesn't at the same I, time. I can't really wrap my my mind around it, but like it wasn't taught to me growing up, so I don't I don't know. Okay, so we have the Godhead, but we don't believe in the Holy Trinity, so we believe they are three separate beings working as a whole. So it's the Godhead, like it's one organization, right? But it's three separate people. So it's it's God, Heavenly Father, His literal Son, Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Ghost that we don't know anything about. Um, one thing Mormonism does talk about a lot not not a lot (laughs) roll that back we don't talk about it a lot (laughs) but something that has been mentioned um and people are trying to talk about it more bring it up more kind of force it more is the idea of like a heavenly mother like it is hilarious to me to talk about creation the creation of everything the creation of worlds and souls and spirits and people and have creation and not have a chick in there anywhere no there's no female mentioned no Dude just did it. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So a thing, and this isn't anywhere in like Mormon anything. This has just always been a thought I've had. I was like, what if the Holy Spirit is like a woman? What if that's like our like heavenly mother? Because at that point, you have basically like a family unit, a father, a mother, a son working as like the Godhead, and it makes sense to me if you have like. You know, if you need, if you have like spirits like needing to be born like spirit babies that you would have like a ghost mom like cranking out ghost babies, right? And like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like a Godhead's like a family unit. Mm-hmm. That's not right anywhere. This is the religion of Zeus. I don't know. <laughs> I just made that up. But which we, is honestly, we don't know we anything about the whole the religion and... of Zeus just as valid as any other. <laughs> but the whole and the Holy Ghost of me has always been. What did you say? Is to convict you? Yeah, the, it's conviction. It's your conscience. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking con- conviction like that, Spirit. like that in the end, like that's the person's gonna like kick you into hell or something. Like there you go. No, boot, like you feel. Into your I, butt I feel flames. convicted. Like when people come to you and oh, they're like, I, I feel convicted. Okay, the yeah, Holy yeah, Spirit's yeah. convicting me to tell you. Yeah. That that color doesn't look good on you. Okay. So, <laughs> so okay, yeah. So it's our, but it's also it's you know our comforter also, but it's yeah also our conscience also our. Um, and so, but the whole idea of like a comfort to me also, like when you're comforted, comforted by the spirit, um, that to me feels like a very maternal type thing. So I don't know. All I'm saying is if there's a Godhead, the Holy Spirit is probably a woman. Mic drop. Please don't drop the mic. No it's so expensive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it, it makes And also sense. we don't really talk about her and we don't give her a name because it's a woman. And so that's no, why it's she's true. left out. I, and I, I was raised to believe like the woman's role in the church is always service and behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's our, our secretary is a woman. Our pianist is a woman. Our Sunday school teachers are women. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always that it's always the, sir. It's always the mother role, but the men get all the kind of like front row, you know, billing. They get, mm-hmm. they, they get, yeah. And 
which is insane to me. Even like my own mom taught me, you know, like that she doesn't believe that it, that women can hold leadership positions in the church. Mm-hmm. And this is like when I was a kid, I, I haven't checked with a uh, cookie in a while. Maybe she <laughs> believes something she seems differently. Very progressive now. I don't know. Yes, it, it, it's true. Um, she's moved on from watching um, the old MacGyver and now she watches the new one. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even a joke. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, she, but th- th- that's kind of what I was taught. I was like, women can't hold positions of power in the church. It's yeah. it's not the way God wanted it and all this stuff like that. And um, which it's no secret that we talked about the misogyny in the church, you know, earlier. And it's no, that that's very prevalent in, in my upbringing as well. And um, I don't know, but for, which is interesting because I, from the time I can remember, I, I was a lot of the youth group, material especially is about learning to be a good man of god for your family good a man of like a man of god needs to be in charge of the family for it to prosper and grow and you have to be the man of the house and the man of like mm-hmm. god's you know kingdom and do it do it the way that he wants you to do it as well which is a lot of pressure to put on a 14 year old um to be thinking about that and uh i just learned like that i have feelings to towards girls um and now i'm already having to you know it's it, it's okay. just, well, as so as girls starting at twelve, in you know in Mormon church, we are beginning to be groomed like at you know twelve. It's like how to become like a righteous wife and mother. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're almost like neutered with that, yeah, or whatever the female version of neutered is. You're castrated. No, it's it's spade. Spade. There we go. There or you spade. go. Uh, yeah, but the, but that that thought is put into your head very very early. Yeah, and you're taught that sex, like I was anyway, taught that sex was bad unless you're married and then but no sex education is given so the second i became married it was like okay you're free and there was a bit of like there's so much guilt and shame the shame and fear now go ahead and yeah like a split that switch exactly yeah Yeah. like flip and and it just immediately becomes like what what Mm -hmm. and so there are so many young um like i personally knew young married christian couples who are like in college still who didn't have sex their first year of marriage because mm-hmm. it was just more comfortable because they weren't taught how yeah. there was no kind of like, it wasn't, it's barely spoken about. Um, and, and that is a real problem because when it is not spoken about, you yeah. go other places to yeah. look for it. So, so either don't I learn went, about it at all, or you learn about it through porn. You learn about it through porn. You yeah. learn about it through highly uneducated older cousins or brothers mm-hmm. and sisters or worse older brothers of your friends who are way shittier mm-hmm. and like are just like, yeah it's this and you're like so who also learned from sex porn, was taught so. yes yeah. exactly basically taught that the feelings i was feeling were not mine to feel right uh, which is heartbreaking now that i think of you know the more i talk about this and it was i was immediately taught in so many words to be that everything you were feeling was bad. It was bad. Yeah. And this was a part of my sin nature mm-hmm. that I was, that I was raised with that. I was, this is why Jesus had to die a very violent and bloody death is because I was feeling these things, mm-hmm. which essentially is translated into if you masturbate, you're making Jesus cry, mm-hmm. which is when people say that kind of thing. It's like, that's not really a joke. Like that is mm-hmm. kind of what I thought. And I remember being a kid and like learning about masturbation and like uh, trying it a bunch and being and feeling immediately guilty mm-hmm. and shame, yep. like all this shame of like, I'm so sorry, like praying immediately after, like, I'm so sorry that I have let you down. And like, so therefore guilt and shame being attached to right. sexuality and which I think is crazy common. 
Yeah. So how does anyone growing up in religion like this, how do you ever straighten that out as an adult? Because there's no way to shut that People off. Like, rarely there's do. no way to shut that off when you get married. Mm-hmm. That doesn't oh, fix it. Yeah. Like, there you go. Now it's okay. Nope. And it's like, you can't undo what you have just done to your brain. Mm-mm. And I think it's, I honestly think it's 10 times worse for women um, because not only is it like from, you're taught that it's your fault that men look at right. you. Right. Sure. Yeah. You're taught that, like, you know, We've the slut shaming mm-hmm. is in full force. You have the ability con- to control men. And if you can't control the men when they look at you and a male gaze and all that thing, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing, then you have a problem and you need to fix it. Yeah. Which is its own set of like problems. And <laughs> I had my own thing where. For a long time, I was like, I'm the girl the guys date, but I'm not the one you marry. Mm. Because as a young person, like, I, not that I've slept with a ton of guys, but, like, I totally have had, you know, I had sex. Um, and I liked sex. And um, not that I would sleep with every guy I went out with, but it was that thing where you're supposed to attract men, but not too much. Because, like, once you're, like, you have to be pretty enough to attract someone, but save yourself for marriage, but then also know what you're doing. But like, there's there's this thing where you're supposed to be both, mm-hmm. but also kind of neither. That it's, it's and it's impossible. It's mm-hmm. impossible for women to be that. You, I feel like there is a thing now where there's a certain type of girl that guys will date and that's how you figure stuff out. And then you go and you get like a like an untouched version good girl mm-hmm. and that's the one you marry. And that's when you have a family with, but ultimately you're maybe not like attracted to that. And so then you turn around and you go to porn mm-hmm. back to the girls who are like, you know what I mean? It's, it is so impossible and we should be able to have both, but for all kinds of reasons, we feel like we can't be both and dudes can't mm-hmm. see us oftentimes as both. And so it's so oh, there were up. literally it's girls so in up. my youth group that my we were over like Sunday lunch or whatever, like my mom would point out after church and point at girls like who were aged 13 to 17, uh, like children and would say, that's the kind of girl you marry. Mm-hmm. Like they were literally and they were very wholesome. They were very like uh, they would speak up and raise their hand in, in Sunday school when they'd always have the correct answer. And my mom knew because she was the Sunday school teacher. And so I very, without, it was a grooming process, whether, whether, and I didn't even know it. And I think that's pretty common, um, even in non religious circles. Like, this is the kind of girl you marry, this is the kind of girl you don't. But I I think that that's, that's just a systemic problem. But that was absolutely a thing that was said to me. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very careful the way you word things. And we, we like to make our, kids grow up faster than they do without even realizing it. We asked three-year-olds if they have girlfriends or boyfriends in yeah. preschool and stuff like very early. And whether we realize it or not, I don't think it's an oversimplification to say that we are sexualizing these children by saying that. And it, I was like, you're teaching them that verbiage and to look out for that kind of mm-hmm. thing and to ask themselves eventually like, Oh, am I the kind of person that you would marry? Like, how can I change myself? Mm-hmm. You know? And we don't allow people to go through the growth phases that they're going through. We, label them really early on who you are in high school you start telling yourself that that's who you are in life and that informs the next decade plus of your life and that is not okay and so much of that is taught through church because we're supposed to be good you know husbands and wives and like we're talking about earlier the it's way more complicated for there's so much more pressure on the woman than the man a lot there are there's pressure to sort of be the man of the house and all that kind of stuff and like and to make the most money and all this bullshit that doesn't really matter. And thankfully is, is kind of being broken as a societal norm slowly, but surely 
but that is that is kind of the way like the way sex was brought up in my house was was all really sneaky Mm -hmm. but it was very you know when i would ask about sex which is very rarely or if it was brought up through you know because a girl in our youth group got pregnant or a girl at our school got pregnant or whatever that kind of thing it was the conversation had to be addressed it was always abstain abstain Mm -hmm. abstain and then all of a sudden you're 22 and married now and like now go ahead and it's like oh i wasn't taught how to do anything and also the the abstinence thing didn't just stop with let's not have sex it's let's not talk about sex Mm -hmm. because the idea in my church specifically in my youth group was if you talked about if we talk about it they're gonna want to do it Mm -hmm. when the reality is if you keep a thing a secret and you keep something from somebody and tell them there is a thing out there, but you cannot do it, mm-hmm. they will want to do yeah. it. That is just science. That is also how teenagers work. Um, <laughs> well, and also when you've trained your brain to, like you're now thinking that every time you have like a sexual impulse or you're sexually attracted to something that it's like bad and evil and coming from a bad place, you can't just automatically shut that off. And like, oh, now these feelings that I'm having, like for my what, like you, you've automatically, like your brain has now been trained to think that like, sex any kind of like sexual impulse any kind of like you're turned on by anything is like coming from an evil place mm-hmm. it is impossible to just shut that off mm-hmm. like, like like now it's okay your brain can't do now it's okay uh, it really can't and I, i've been told this several times because i really do looking back and through therapy and like doing work on myself and a lot of my upbringing this is the first two decades of my life is if not a little bit more is i categorize so much uh, if you take religion out of it and say that it's just like a work environment or something, if it's another, it's if it's, if it's another institution and you said those people told me these things or made me believe at a formative age, these things, whether they thought they were true or not, it would be considered child abuse. It would be considered neglect. It would be considered uh, misleading. Um, but because so much of it was based in what they've always been told and not actual science. And so they won't let the schools sort of teach us like sex ed was very like, for lack of a better term, neutered. It was very like watered down. Um, and it was mostly women. It was mostly girls talking about their periods and not actually about and mm-hmm. use a. They couldn't even say use a condom um, and how a baby was made. And that was about it. And, and so that's the only sex ed I would get. And so when you don't get that, you do, like I said, go to porn or mm-hmm. you go to and which is not sex this goes back to what we were talking about earlier but kids can handle so much more than we think they can and like we think that kids can't understand context and i wonder how much of that but they can't they can and i wonder how much of that goes back to we don't trust ourselves as parents that we've actually done a good enough job that our kids can handle it Mm -hmm. but you don't know until you test them And, and i i have such a i i am in therapy to this day dealing with stuff with that i still have holdover from the sexual side or the lack of sexual what where you get your validation mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff because it was just completely glossed over it was it was labeled bad and put in the closet and like get out of here in a way i'm thankful for to a lot of like those shitty older brothers of my friends and stuff like that because at least i got the information Something, and yeah. then later it was it's easier to recorrect those thing get too much information and then kind of wield it back a little bit and be like, okay, this, is this wasn't real. This is actually real. This is wasn't real. Then to get no information mm-hmm. and learn it all late mm-hmm. and real, you know, you just, I'd rather feel overwhelmed than stupid mm-hmm. or feel like misinformed. So I don't know if that makes sense. So 
this has all been the groundwork yeah laid in our upbringing so this is what we're dealing with this is what we're dealing this with this is what here. we're carrying into adulthood <laughs> into adulthood right yeah to make our first adult decisions yeah I'm using adult in quotes. Yeah. Because, boy, I was not an adult no. at 22, 23 years old. And I honestly, like, through – this is part one, and we'll go we'll go into mm-hmm. sort of the next uh, episode talking about kind of our – what what finally broke us mm-hmm. to be like, you know what, maybe this isn't okay. Or yeah. also, maybe this isn't me. Yeah. Like, this doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and there is a healthy version of, like, being in the church. It's like anything. It's like – I know it, I have friends who seem very well adjusted yeah. and are still very much – Mormon and I don't know how they do it but but they take it with a grain good. of salt like the ones that I've talked to who are well, well adjusted are like yeah of course there are problems but like yeah. I'm there to hopefully be a, a good answer to that yeah and I'm like good on you I can't do it right now I know same and maybe yeah. one day that'll change but this seems like we're bleeding into the next episode now but okay yeah let's stop talking all right <laughs> <laughs>